0: This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh Stephen Bodian. Uh, he is a spiritual teacher. He is an author. Uh His latest book, Beyond Mindfulness, uh, he also has written some articles we'd like to discuss with him. And uh, uh, through the miracle of modern technology, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad, in this case, I hope good, uh, Phil is in Los Angeles, I'm in Iowa, and Stephen is in uh, Spain, So we're and we're able to do this recording uh, s- pretty simply. Uh, 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 Stephen, thank you so very much for taking
1: the time to come on with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. I look forward to our conversation.
2: Stephen, let's begin, as we usually do on this show, with uh, our guest's uh, spiritual background. Tell us uh, briefly, I guess, if you can, sure. Um how you came, how your spiritual life began and what brought you to the work you do?
1: Well, I was drawn to, uh, spirituality as a teenager. My mother died when I was 15, which is of course a major event in anyone's life and turned me uh, back upon myself. And, uh, I started searching a bit, uh, didn't find it in my religion of, of birth. And, uh, so I uh, began uh, checking out uh, other paths, uh, read about uh, Hinduism and Buddhism, and then came to Zen. And uh, as a young man, I, uh, you know, in my 20s, I began practicing Zen and uh, became a Zen monk after a few years. Um, moved to California from the East Coast, uh, went to Tassahara Zen Monastery, studied with uh, Suzuki Roshi, author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And... You know how to really became deeply deeply involved in Zen practice um, and I, I did that for 10 years uh, and then at, at a certain point I realized that my practice was not going deeper and I felt really stuck in, in my practice um, I, I didn't feel like I was enlightening or awakening I felt quite the contrary I was kind of drying up uh, and um, and I needed to sort of jumpstart the process again. And I also became aware that the uh, teacher I was studying with at the time, whose name I won't mention now, anyway, um, seemed to be, first of all, an alcoholic, uh, seemed to be uh, manipulative of his students. And ultimately, I found out was sleeping with some of his students. I didn't realize it at the time. Unthinkable. Unthinkable and so common. <laughs> how yeah, but how common. Yeah. Uh, so I somehow intuitively knew something was amiss. Let's put it that way, and and I left, uh, um, which was very difficult because I was really devoted to Zen and felt I had gone astray, you know, leaving the flock, you know. Um, but I, I needed to do it. I there was an imperative to do that, and uh, I went and left and began studying psychology, which I realized was really important if I was going to uh, understand my mind and the mind of others, and if I was ever going to teach what I had been learning, you know? Uh, And then um, shortly after that, a couple of years later, I met a Tibetan teacher who I studied with for several years who also turned out to be what I would call narcissistic. Uh, And then uh, I left him again intuitively knowing something was amiss and found my, really my teacher for this lifetime who was Jean Klein, a teacher, a European teacher of Advaita Vedanta, who I studied with very closely for 10 years. Um,
0: See, Stephen, let me ask you, uh, uh, your experience with, with your teacher, guru, whatever, uh, mm. is not uncommon. And I'm going to guess there are a lot of folks listening. Yes, that's right. We've had similar experiences. So two things. One is, um, how did you process that? Was it anger? Was it, did it turn you off to, to to enlightenment to meditation to to what he was teaching, we were you able to separate uh, the teacher's weaknesses from the strengths or weaknesses of his or her teaching? Uh, and and, uh, and then I guess from there, Phil, maybe you could get into this with Stephen, uh, and and that is the the article you wrote about uh, gurus and narcissism. But back to that point, how did you process this? Yeah, that's a great question. Recommend to people that have had that experience.
1: Yeah, that's a great uh, question. Uh, And I think that one of the reasons I wrote the article is because what I've seen, and I've worked with many people, I'm a psychotherapist as well as a spiritual teacher and an author. um, I've worked with a number of people who have had the the experience of working with a teacher who proves to be exploitative, uh, manipulative, and uh, they really get soured through the whole spiritual journey, you know? Uh, They become cynical and, uh, and stop. Um, seeking, you know, stop uh, turning toward the truth. And that's a grave concern to me um, uh, because it's such a precious and tenuous connection we have with our true nature and it, it really needs to be nurtured. Um, now, fortunately, I wasn't personally really exploited. You know, if, I, if one of these teachers had tried to, you know, take my money or sleep with me or, you know, manipulate me in various ways. it would have been much more difficult probably to reconcile. Uh, I was just intuiting it and seeing it uh, enacted with other people. Right. Um, But uh, for those who do get turned off, uh, you know, and soured to the spiritual journey by their teachers, um, I would say, first of all, you know, spiritual teachers are not necessarily narcissistic. And uh, it's important to separate the teachings from the teacher who can be a very, uh, you know, uh, uh, imperfect. Uh, But what I would also say, and I do say always to my students is, maintain your own spiritual autonomy. You are the path. And everything has to be filtered through you, ultimately. You're, the guru is inside you, you know? And uh, an outside teacher can activate that guru, uh, can uh, help inform that guru, but, ultimately you have to check in with yourself and know what's true for you and trust your own inner guidance. So that's what I would advise uh, to people. Mm-hmm. Um, Go that uh, away.
2: Stephen, as long as uh, we're on this subject, um, I've had to explore and write about this phenomenon of uh, teachers uh, falling off their pedestals and the impact of it and people, uh, throwing out the baby with the bathwater, yes. and and historically, uh, my, th- a lot of this happened in the 60s and 70s. What yeah. I'm curious to know, since you're you you continue to have students, and I assume uh, there's a, a variety uh, of uh, ages among your students. Yeah. Is it do do the newer generation of um, uh, seekers the people now in their 20s 30s 40s as opposed to the baby boomers right. um, do, do do they experience uh, teachers and gurus in the same way is the same uh, the same kind of phenomena happening now yes
1: absolutely i was just talking with a, a woman the other day who uh, is in her early 40s and she said she felt that she needed to we talked about how, you know, really when you're with a teacher, often you project your own purity, your own true nature onto the teacher,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they come to embody that for you, which can be okay if you reown it and they don't take it and use it for their purposes, you know. Uh, but she said, that, you know, she had been exploited uh, to some degree, and uh, she felt that was necessary somehow to project in that way and then reown it. And I said, mm-hmm. well, maybe not necessarily. I think. You need to find it inside of you. Um, So the guru can represent the guru principle for you, but ultimately you need to find that inside of you. But I I think it does still happen because there is that tendency in us to want to give our light and our power away to someone else for some Mm -hmm. reason. You know? I was
2: hoping, if I may, I was hoping that the younger seekers would have learned from the mistakes I, of, and pe- people well, like us who have
1: written I've about talked it. about so much, really. Yeah.
0: But, I, but I think, uh, Stephen, uh, one of the problems, I mean, that I've heard and in, in, uh, really on my own experience in some ways is, is that Phil mentioned not throwing out the uh, baby with the bathwater. But on the other hand, if the, the teacher is teaching that uh, following this spiritual path uh, uh will lead you to uh, an enlightenment that's yours, but also uh it will lead to uh, better behavior, spontaneous right action, whatever terminology is used. And when you see that doesn't exist in the teacher, then, then it's it's easier to leave the teaching because you think, I, I don't want to turn out like that. And and this, uh, my I, this gal is very far down the path in terms of their internal experience and, and how to experience. Uh, uh, presented at least you can intuitively sure. maybe pick up on that but on the other hand there's that contradiction and I think that's what really yeah. throws people through a loop that's, that's I, something agree. I, I, agree. I, I try to talk people into hey look yeah, you know, uh, the teaching is still good you've learned a lot but then the, that they'll bring that out and that's a tough one to respond to Oh,
1: agree. I agree I don't even think I have an answer for that of course if you see that this person is recommending a certain practice or a certain path Recommending awakening, and then is not walking their own talk. You think, well, how is this going to benefit me? How is it going to change me? If this person hasn't changed, I think that's a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, there are teachers uh, who do uh, walk their talk. I was fortunate, you know, at the toward the end of my, uh, you could say, training, my practice uh, life, uh, I did meet two of them, uh, Jean Klein and Ajahn Shanti, who. I, you know, had the utmost integrity, and uh, who were wonderful teachers. So there are, but you have to be discriminating. Yeah, we
2: should note uh, for the listeners that um, John Prendergast, who's the one who uh, recommended we have you on the show, uh, when we had him on a couple of years ago, he spoke a lot about his time with Jean Klein. Yes. So re- listeners might want to go to to that uh, that interview as well. Yes. Um, Um, Stephen, uh, since we're talking about uh, teachers, let's uh, get to your article on narcissism among spiritual teachers. What prompted you to write it? Where can readers, uh, listeners find it?
1: Uh, Well, they can find it on my website, StephenBodian.org. Good time to mention
2: that.
1: (laughs) Bodian.org. It's in my blog uh, section. It's also, I post it on Facebook and, I actually got the most uh, likes I've ever gotten for an article. Uh, You know, it was like 300 likes and 100 shares, you know, because Mm -hmm. uh, it really uh, touched a nerve, right? Um, So you can read it there. Uh, It was prompted. uh, It's been gestating for 40 years. Since my experience with that, almost 40 years, uh, not quite, but with that teacher, that Zen teacher, and then with the Tibetan teacher uh, who ultimately um, was um, you know, this happened recently was finally brought down uh and proved to actually to be pretty much of a charlatan uh yeah um whose name again I won't mention but I think he's it's pretty well known uh he died yes today. it is yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and so uh you know he very charismatic uh but uh you know charisma is one thing and awakening is another uh People who are awakened are not necessarily charismatic. Uh, Jean Klein was not charismatic at all, although he had a tremendous spiritual energy, which was really love, I would say. It was not charisma. Um, So, you know, it was written. I also, just to mention, I was the editor of Yoga Journal for 10 years, and um, I interviewed a a number of uh, spiritual teachers, and... You know, felt in interviewing them that these were people who were narcissistic, and and we also did exposés of several teachers. So I've been sort of privy to this whole <laughs> this whole information for years and years, and uh, so I finally took a, a I did a conference on narcissism that was put on by uh, Sounds True, and uh, I learned a lot about narcissism, and it all came together, and I just sat down and wrote this in in an afternoon. Give us, the, uh, uh, give us the gist. Uh, well, the, 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 the gist is that, um, I mean, there, in a certain way, there is no gist. Uh, <laughs> but I, what I would say is as long as, as there's ego, there's narcissism. You know? I mean, ego is by its nature narcissistic, <laughs> not narcissistic personality disorder. But, uh, you know, ego sees itself as the center of the universe And everything revolves around me. And everything is there to serve me. Uh, That's basically the narcissistic stance. So we're all narcissistic to a certain degree. Um, But people who are severely narcissistic, uh, narcissistic in a way that causes harm to others, uh, are extremely so. And, uh, you know, they're what they call the four E's. They have an exaggerated self-importance. Uh, they uh, have a sense of entitlement. Uh, you know, they, have very, they have limited empathy for others. Everything is about them. Mm-hmm. They have a hard time listening and really uh, appreciating and resonating with other people's experience. And they exploit others, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Now, why do narcissists become spiritual teachers? Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's something of a mystery. I think narcissists become spiritual teachers in the same way that they tend to rise to the top of any organization or any activity that they're involved in, because they tend to be very assertive. They tend to look out for themselves. Uh, You know, they're very achievement oriented because the more they achieve, the more it reflects on their own grandiosity. Uh, And I think there's something of almost a lineage, you could say, of narcissism in certain spiritual traditions, you know, mm-hmm. where the teacher was narcissistic and they pass it on to their students. I saw that with the Zen teacher that I finally left. Uh, mm-hmm. Several of the students really proved to be quite narcissistic, actually. Right. Right. Um, so see,
0: Stephen, for our listeners and for us, uh, as somebody's uh, uh, thinking, okay, I'd like to find a spiritual teacher or I have found one, uh, but I'm, I, I'm still in the process of evaluation. Uh, what uh two things what what are the um uh the, the the maybe two or three pointers to look for in evaluating a teacher and then even if you have full faith in a teacher, is it ever appropriate do you think to turn your everything over to them and allow them to be the decision maker for you
1: well I think the answer to the second question is never um you know they have wisdom to offer you and they have uh, perhaps the uh, and guidance to argue and, and the, um, the means to elicit your own inner wisdom, right? But that's it, you know. One of the things that Jean Klein said about teachers, which was one of the things that really cemented my deep relationship with him, he said, uh, you know, the true teacher has no interest in having students, basically. Mm. You know, my students, right? And, and transmission, he said, happens sort of magically and kind of an alchemy between teacher and student when the teacher, who does not take him or herself to be a teacher, meets the student who is also similarly, does not take themselves to be a student, shorn of any identities whatsoever, then transmission can happen of being itself, you see. Now Jean, one of the things that drew me to Jean was when I sat with him, one of the first times I really just sat with him, I realized he had absolutely no interest in my being a student. And I thought, this is the person I want to study with. Mm. You know, any teacher who wants you to be their student, watch out, right? Yeah,
0: the, the only thing I'll follow up with is I, I've had exposure to many, many teachers, either directly or to other people. Yes. And virtually everyone says the same thing. I'm not a guru, and I'm not interested in money. And in almost every case, they they, they are a guru, and they are interested in in, in, in money. So those two things, and I'm not, this is not a blanket, okay, I know. The different. other thing that I would say,
1: then is, yeah. uh, you know, you ask for pointers. Uh, and again, hopefully you're not, you know, it's not true that, you know, most gurus or teachers are like that. Uh, again, the word guru, I think, is uh, also a bit of a, a red flag, um, I would say. Um, maybe we would be, do well to avoid the word guru. Um, or even teacher, or a spiritual friend is a good word from the Buddhist tradition. But I would say, watch the way a teacher is with their close students.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's very revealing. One of the things I noticed about, uh, about uh, the Tibetan teacher, I almost mentioned his name, who I studied with, uh, <laughs> was right. uh, he was very charismatic in the group. But what caused me to leave him was the way he was treating his close students, particularly women. And then it turned out that that was the issue uh, that ultimately brought his downfall it was the way he treated women, and I could see it. He, he was clearly exploiting them, and his you know he would get angry for no apparent reason with people, and that was immediate turnoff to me. Interesting. Uh, so watch their behavior in in, in in the private you know of their relationship with. Right. Their
2: so now let's segue to your work as a spiritual teacher. Um, First, I'd love you to just give us an overview of the kind of work you do and what you emphasize with your students. And how do you prevent the same kind of narcissism from uh, entering your being and uh, keep your your own students from projecting uh, unhealthy uh, uh, characteristics onto you? Uh,
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. Um, well, um, you know, my own uh, ongoing work uh, with myself, in other words, to remain as deeply rooted in my own being uh, and my own uh, realization uh, as I can from moment to moment, which is an ongoing, you know, dedication, the devotion on my part is all I can really do in that regard in terms of not being narcissistic. Um, you know, I, I don't feel uh, that I'm narcissistic any more than, you know, to the degree I have an ego, which I certainly still do. Uh, and as far as projection is concerned, um, I, I just don't own the projection. You know, I, I give it back uh, immediately. It's, it, I don't, I have no place to hold it. It's not of interest to me. Um, and you can feel it when it comes towards you. Mm. It's, you know, I imagine it's tempting to, to hold on to it to use it for one's own self aggrandizement, but uh it's just not of interest and, and I know that's a, a dangerous a slippery slope, shall we say. Um yeah. Stephen, are you still do you still consider yourself a monk? Uh that's a good question. Yeah, in my heart <laughs> I am, you know. It's it's so true. I mean I've been married several times. I've raised a couple of kids, you know. So no, I'm I'm not really a monk, but in, in my heart of hearts, you know, sure. Sure. I, yeah. I can relate, yeah.
2: And tell us about your work as a spiritual... That's right, yeah. Well, I
1: I teach, you know, very much in the tradition of my teachers, uh, Jean Klein and Adyashanti, I I teach the direct uh, approach to spiritual uh, awakening. Um, And uh, basically, uh, that's inviting people uh, to turn the light of awareness back upon itself and recognize in the moment, which is available in each moment, recognize that which is looking through these eyes, that which is experiencing life through this body and mind, that which is living through us, which is who we really are, you know, our true nature. Uh, we can call it consciousness, we can call it uh, spirit, we can call it uh, God, uh, the sacred, whatever we call it. I like the sacred unseen, whatever it is that's living through us to be able to recognize that as our very own true nature is what the journey is about, right? And um, so I do this through retreats and satsangs and uh, classes. I do an annual School for Awakening, which is um, a four-month intensive online program. And it's really teachings, pointers. I mean, it's all about constantly pointing back again and again in various ways uh, to this uh, true nature beyond the mind, you know, that which is, Uh, you know, always beyond concepts, uh, beyond uh, limited identities, which is uh, limitless itself. uh, And, uh, you know, it was beyond the personal, right? How do we recognize that? So there are ongoing pointers and teachings, uh, guided self-inquiry, guided meditations, um, silence uh, together, and a lot of uh, dialogue, you know, investigating, exploring together, using words as a, a means to uh, take us uh, beyond words, you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, I, Steven, I have one final question from my side and then I'll turn it over to Phil. Yeah. And that is uh, what was the inspiration for writing beyond mindfulness?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, you, you know, I, of course I practiced mindfulness for many years and, and then I was involved in creating a, a, an app uh, called mindfulness meditation, a, a mobile app. And of course I wrote the book meditation for dummies which is basically, it's about all kinds of meditation, but the core of the book is mindfulness meditation. And, and then I saw mindfulness meditation becoming very popular as it is right now. And I felt that it was important to also point out the limitations of mindfulness. Uh, you know, there are some significant limitations for those who are on the path of awakening in terms of it reifies the sense of a separate meditator and makes you think that awareness is something you have to do. <laughs> but awareness is not something you have to do. Awareness is what you are, you see. And, and to think that you have to constantly effort to be aware uh, to, you know, is, is very misleading and can lead you very much away from your natural state uh, of inherent wakefulness. So I felt that was really important to, uh, to, to make that point and to point to the past beyond mindfulness. Mm-hmm.
2: And while we're on the subject, uh, you've written a book with the word meditation in the, in the title. You've written right. uh, books with mindfulness in the title. My experience the last several years is there's a tremendous amount of confusion mm. um, about what the t- those two uh, phenomena, meditation mm. and mindfulness. And mm. people use the word mindfulness rather indiscriminately to, to yes. mean anything. Any old practice that involves attention um, right. and some mindfulness are things that would qualify as forms of meditation and some are right. other kinds of practices, how do you separate those two terms and, uh, and how do, well and they also come together in many ways. so maybe you can give us your take on that
1: sure no that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, of course, there are many different forms of meditation. You know, there's mantra meditation. Uh, there's a concentration style of meditation. There's contemplation. Uh, you know, the, and even within the mindfulness tradition, there's uh, you know, shamatha, which is a concentration, and there's vipassana, which is more uh, a global awareness. Uh, so there are different forms of mindfulness meditation, different forms of meditation. Um, you know. You could say that meditation is something you do when you stop and sit down and and then uh, deliberately meditate. Um, But uh, meditation can be moment to moment. If you're resting in awareness, uh, not necessarily doing anything, but again, if awareness is our natural state, something that's always occurring that we don't need to perpetuate or maintain, it's just something we can come to rest in then meditation can be moment to moment, right? Um, so there can be, you know, ongoing meditation uh, in action, meditation in life. Meditation, meditation, meditation. No. Um, but the main thing, is, the main
0: that,
1: thing is that. Whoops! i worse. Worse. You there? You're there? You're there. Yes. Yep. yes. Yes. I'm getting an echo. echo. Yeah. Not sure why that's happening. Okay, it's better now. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, so you know they're kind of like they overlap. You know, there's there's mindfulness and then over and there's mindfulness in everyday life, but then there's mindfulness meditation. Then there's meditation, and some of that is mindfulness, but other, you know, others of it are other kinds of meditation. Um, but again, you can meditate from moment to moment, and you can certainly meditate without being mindful. Um, mm-hmm.
2: And, and Stephen, you you uh, identify yourself as in the tradition of uh, non-dual spiritual teachings. Yeah, Advaita Vedanta uh, and Dzogchen and, um, and Zen are you know sort yes.
1: of what I've studied and, and, and really teach. Yeah,
2: and and there's also a lot of um, I would say confusion and uh, uh, comp complicated sort of reasoning around what non-duality means and, and, and people who take non-duality to mean that uh, the, the world we live in, the world where you're Steven and I'm Phil and Dennis huh? is Dennis and we, we have to do things in the world, um, is an illusion and therefore to be uh, not taken very seriously. You, as a psychologist as well as a spiritual Mm -hmm. teacher, I would suspect is not in that camp. camp. Absolutely Uh, not. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, it's not an illusion. No, it's not an illusion.
2: (laughs) So, how would you explain what non-duality means in the context of there being an ultimate reality and also a relative kind of? We're going to have
0: to wrap it up after this question, though, Phil.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, that
1: sounds good. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Zen tradition, which I began with, uh, there was never any sense of you know, uh, spirituality being separate from life. You know? Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. So that was w- w- where I originally came from. I didn't come from the Indian tradition where Maya, you know, the world is Maya and illusion. That's not a Buddhist teaching. Uh, so you know, the world is a manifestation of spirit you know, it's spirit in manifestation. And spirit and its expressions in form are not separate, you see. That's kind of paradoxical. It's a mystery. But it's ultimately to be explored and, and discovered, you know. Good.
2: Thank yeah. you, Stephen.
1: Yes, my pleasure. Great. Thank you so Thanks, much. And, and um, yeah. Great to talk with you. Yeah.
2: Stephen, and, and, and again,
1: uh, because
0: beyond mindfulness we'll have all that posted up yeah go ahead Bill.
1: i was going to say uh,
2: f- uh we apologize to our listeners but we had some recording problems so steven you're going to have to end this recording so uh, let's right. let's okay. say goodbye right